Welcome to Jesus Pursuit's weekly sermon, where our mission is bringing the good news and demonstrating the kingdom. Join us live for Worship in the Word, Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. on our YouTube channel. We hope you are encouraged and equipped by this week's word with our senior pastor, Emily Tadro. Everybody's excited for that big breakfast on Christmas. If anyone wants to help cook it, you can come see me. <laughs> What's that? Yes, please. Well, good morning. Um, happy Thanksgiving. Merry Christmas. We are in the Christmas season officially. And I love it. I'm so glad. I love Christmas. How many of you have already decorated your tree and already have it up? Not as many as I thought. I thought there would be a lot more. But, you know, this is the first year that I have ever put a tree out before Thanksgiving in history of ever. And it's also the first year I've ever had a fake tree. I know. I know. But um, we had a little Christmas project early November that required a Christmas tree. And a Christmas tree would not make it early November. So um, we went for the fake tree this year. Because real Christmas trees are too expensive to let die before Christmas. You got you to gotta get the real one and milk it for all you can, but two months is a long time. So anyway, but God's doing a new thing apparently because I have a fake tree <laughs> and um, that's okay. It's not really about Christmas trees, is it? This season, I love this season because it's really such a focus on the incarnation of Christ, that he came and that just blows my mind every time I say that, that God became man. Ah, oh, isn't that wild? It's just, it's just mind-boggling to me that God, the Son of God, became the Son of Man. And he entered this space that was so oppositional to the realm that he was a part of. And I love John 1.14 in the message. Ah, I love it. The word became flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood. We saw the glory with our own eyes, the one-of-a-kind glory, like father, like son, generous inside out and true from the start to finish might just be my favorite verse in the whole Bible. And I love it in the message because it's so, um, it just says it like it is. The living word, the, the prophesied word himself put on skin, blood, flesh, and he moved into the neighborhood just made his home with us. That just seems more real than he dwelt among us. 
He dwelt among us seems far away to me. I don't know why, but you can dwell among and like hide out in your house. You can be among, but not a part of. But he didn't do that. He moved into the neighborhood. And we saw him with our own eyes. We saw the glory of God with our own eyes. We saw who he really is. We saw he's generous in every way imaginable from start to finish. I just love that. And that's what this season is all about. And at every turn, you hear, I mean, you hear Santa Claus that's coming to town. You hear Felice Navidad. You hear all that. It's fun. But you could be in Safeway and hear Silent Night or Oh Holy Night, or What Child Is This, or Mary Did You Know, and like all these things about the word became flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood. And it's just amazing. And people who know God and people who don't know God yet still sing the same songs, and it moves our heart. So, yay, I love this season. And this week, um, I have been reading Hebrews, um, and I've been stuck in Hebrews 2, specifically this one verse, Hebrews 2, verse 13. Um, and it says, um, let's see. He says, and my confidence rests in God. My confidence rests in God. Yeah, we sang that this morning. My confidence is in your faithfulness. I will rest in your confidence. This is, this is quoting scripture. And, you know, it, I'm not going to get into Hebrews and who wrote Hebrews or who didn't write Hebrews. There's some talk about that. But this whole thing is really about who is Jesus. This whole section of scripture. And just that Jesus own declaration is my confidence is in God. Jesus could come, become flesh and blood. He could move into the neighborhood. He could do all of these things because his confidence was in God. So how did he have that confidence? What was that about his relationship that he had that confidence that rests in God? And then he says, and it says, and again he says, here I am, one with the children that Yahweh has given to me. And he, he says, I have confidence in God. And then he says, I'm, I'm part of this family that God has given to me. I'm one with them. And that same confidence that I have in God is their confidence too. And so I want to talk about that this morning. Did you, would you believe that there's bad teaching out there? <laughs> would you believe that there's actually some really bad lies that we've believed about God? How many of you have um, heard, I won't ask you if you believe this, how about that? But how many of you have heard and have come up with this belief or at least statement that God cannot look upon sin? Have you heard that before? 
just raise your hand. If you have heard, God cannot look upon sin. And a lot of people believe that that is the truth. But did you know that the Bible actually doesn't say that? It, well, it does. It says in Habakkuk, a prophet is proclaiming, your eyes are too pure to look upon sin. But God is not saying, I can't behold sin. In fact, if you look at Scripture and you look at every aspect of Scripture, God is constantly getting in the middle of people's mess. He's not just looking at it. He gets up in there with them. He's not sinning, but he's like not scared. When, where did we believe that God was so fragile that he couldn't get around sin? But, and I've been thinking about this, honestly, since last week when Karen said, you know, like, Sometimes we have these issues, but she said she was real vulnerable with us last week when she shared that. She said, my issue was actually a, with God. Like, I have to get myself all good before I can feel your presence, Lord, or I have to, like, but he said, I want to get in the middle of your mess, Karen. And we, so many people, I've heard this so much of my life. That God can't look upon sin. One of my favorite songs is How Deep the Father's Love for Us. I've loved that song. It's bad theology. <laughs> it's not bad theology that God loves us this deeply. But that, you know, the son is being crushed. He's being bruised. And the father looks away. He turns his head away. He's like, ew, gross. Cannot look upon it. That's not good theology, friends. Bad theology. God was not disgusted by his own son. He didn't abandon him. Jesus quotes part of Psalm 22 when he's on the cross. And he does that to speak to a people who know this song backward and forward. I'm this guy. And he says... My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? But he's quoting the scripture. He doesn't in that moment quote the rest of it, but he's speaking that out to a people who know the end of the song. Where it says in it, and I'll get to it, but it says that he does not turn his face, that the father does not turn his face away from this one who feels abandoned. But we've taken these little pieces of scripture out of context and made our relationship with God around that. He doesn't want to get in our mess. He can't look upon my sin. I got to get things right before I can call upon him. But we sang this morning, there's no shadow you won't light up. There's no mountain you won't climb up. You're coming after me. There's no wall you won't kick down. There's no lie you won't tear down. You're coming after me. And that's the truth. That is actually, that's really good theology. People don't like to say that God's love is reckless. Okay, don't say that. That's fine. 
but it is. It's reckless to come and be fully God, leave the realm of perfection, deep intimacy with the Godhead. It's, it's kind of reckless to come in human form as the most vulnerable, the weakest form on the planet, a baby. It's kind of reckless to submit yourself to being taken care of by a human, a mother. Yeah, an angel came and talked to her, but she was still a human. Mary's not a deity. (laughs) Some people might try to make her one. She's not. She is a woman. Awesome. Brave. Brave woman. But she was just a girl, a young, young woman tasked with raising up the Son of God. Can you get more reckless than that? That's pretty reckless. So, what's my point? <laughs> God actually wants, he didn't just move into the neighborhood. He moved into your hood. He moved into your realm. He moved into your everything. And the way that he was able to come and be and live and thrive is the same way that we get to. So let's read Hebrews 2. Um, let's start in Hebrews 2.10 together. I'm going to go back and forth in different translations. Um, so we'll, we'll start with the, the passion, because that's what Bella has up. For now he towers above all creation, for all things exist through him and for him. Did we sing that this morning? We did. Literally everything that I'm going to say, we sang something about it today. It's just... I love that when that happens. Um, Okay. Exists through him and for him. And that God made him pioneer of our salvation, perfect through his sufferings. For this is how he brings many sons and daughters to share in his glory. Jesus, the Holy One, makes us holy. And as his sons and daughters, we now belong to his same father. So he is not ashamed or embarrassed to introduce us as his brothers and sisters. For he has said, I will reveal who you really are to my brothers and sisters, and I will glorify you with praises in the midst of the congregation. And my confidence rests in God. And again he says, here I am, one with the children Yahweh has given me. Since all his children have flesh and blood, so Jesus became human to fully identify with us, He did this so that he could experience death and annihilate the effects of the intimidating accuser who holds against us the power of death. By embracing death, Jesus sets free those who live live their entire lives in bondage to the tormenting dread of death. And it's clear he didn't do this with the angels, but for all the sons and daughters of Abraham. And that's why he had to be a man and take hold of our humanity in every way. He made us his brothers and sisters, and he became our merciful, faithful, 
king priest before God, as the one who removes our sins to make us one with him, he suffered and endured every test and temptation so that he can help us every time that we pass through the ordeals of life. And that's a really big hallelujah right there. This doesn't sound like he's afraid of our mess to me. This doesn't sound a bit like he can't look upon our sin. If, you know, he says that he makes us holy. Jesus, the Holy One, makes us holy. By him coming and being in our world, by him coming and immersing himself in our stuff, in our junk, in our, in our mess. He makes us holy. He, he doesn't make us holy by separating himself from us. He makes us holy by getting himself really, really close to us. We don't have to be afraid to come in close because he is holy. Now, I'm not saying you stay in sin. Don't hear me say what I'm not saying, okay? But we all sin. It's just a, a known thing. We all sin. We've all sinned. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. So we're all in the same boat. If we want to be holy as he is holy, we get really close to him. We get really, really close to him. We immerse ourselves in him as he immerses himself with us. We have the same Father. He says it here. And he wants to bring many sons and daughters to glory, to share in his glory. What do you think that glory is? Yeah, it's, his name is above every name. There's that. But what is the glory that, that Jesus has to share with us. I think it's intimacy with God. It's that union with God. It's that coming close. It's, it's the connectedness. Um, I want to know the glory that Jesus sees. Right? I want to know and experience the same love that the Father and Jesus had. Through the Spirit, we can do that. So, because we're flesh and blood, Jesus had to become flesh and blood. When, when he was here, he was as human as we are. And yeah, he was God. But he, he was completely human. Anything could have derailed the process. Any choice, any... I mean, he could have given it all up. But he stayed the course. He stayed connected to the Father, right? And we've heard all of this before. But I just felt to share this this morning again because we don't live like we know this. We live like the lies that we believe are God, about God. I do sometimes. This isn't a judgment statement. 
But when, when we're going through it, lots of times we hide. Lots of times we feel beat down. So many times we feel shame when we're going through hard things. It's the opposite of what God wants us to experience and feel in that moment. What he wants us to do is put our confidence in God, get our strength from him, come in close. Jesus experienced everything that you've experienced. Now, now, it's not going to look necessarily the same way. Culture's different today. He didn't have cell phones. Like, okay, you know, he didn't experience cyberbullying. But, like, any hard thing that you have walked through in life, Jesus has experienced that. Which, you know, some of us don't like to think about Jesus like that. But in his humanity, I just said it, he was a baby. If Mary and Joseph didn't take care of him, a coyote could have got him. I mean, just, that's a weird thought, but he had to be cared for. What does that mean about Jesus in his humanity? He was weak. Nobody likes to think about Jesus being weak because he's God. But he became flesh and blood, and he moved into the neighborhood. He experienced weakness. Am I messing with you? So if Jesus was experiencing weakness, do you think he walked in shame? No, he did not. So there must be something about you living and experiencing something in weakness that is not shameful, friends. I want to break shame off of you this morning because Jesus didn't walk in shame in his humanity. He got really close to the Father. Jesus experienced need. Is anyone in the room needy this morning? Okay. Jesus knows your need. It's not just that he knows about your need. He was in need. He needed people around him to pour into him. He needed help. Is that weird to think about God in that way? I honestly, in the last year, probably have only allowed myself to think about God that way. Because I can't think about myself that way. I don't want to be needy. I don't want to have needs. Do you want to have needs? Does it make you feel less than? It makes me feel less than. But that's a lie from the devil. If Jesus could have needs, if Jesus could be weak, and all glory goes to him, all things come from him, all things go back to him, that's pretty awesome. So let me break shame off of you this morning today that you have needs. 
Is it just me that feels bad about having needs? Are there a lot of us in the room that feel bad about having needs? Okay, that makes me feel better. (laughs) Thank you. I don't, God doesn't want us to be in shame about that. He faced temptation. Brothers and sisters, when you fall into temptation, you can feel like a real dirt ball that you just fell into temptation. But being tempted and choosing to stand and not partake in the midst of temptation is what Jesus did. Being tempted is not sin. Having needs is not sin. Experiencing weakness is not sin. And coming up on temptation is not sin. If it is, then Jesus is not the spotless lamb of God. So I want to say to you, when you feel like a dirt ball because you experience temptation, you're good. Jesus identified. Now, don't, don't step beyond temptation. There's a choice. You hear what I'm saying. But Jesus experienced these things. Would you believe that Jesus probably experienced loneliness? Is it a sin to feel lonely? No. Have you believed it was? I think I have. These are human conditions. How about tormenting spiritual attack? Is it a sin to be attacked by the devil and harassed by the devil? Jesus was in the desert, and he was tormented by the devil. He was harassed. He was persecuted by the devil. He did not sin. He withstood it. Um, In case you didn't know, there's a lot of spiritual attack happening right now. Now, how you respond to all of these things that I'm talking about is where it goes into sin or not sin, right? But just because these things happen to you doesn't make you a failure. It doesn't make you needing to be removed from God. And and honestly, even if you did step into sin, There's no shadow he won't light up. There's no mountain he won't climb up to get to you, to pull you back to himself. I could keep going. If you feel um, false accusation, people say things about you that are not true. Jesus had um, people lie about him. He had people disparage him publicly. They, they went after his reputation. They defamed his character. He was betrayed. He had false accusations lobbed at him. He had false expectations put upon him. That, that's a big one. Expectations. False expectations. He didn't feel obligated to meet everybody's false expectation about him. Um, 
he had people use him for what they could get from him. Or what they, they thought they could get about him. He had people try to snuggle on up close to elevate their status and not actually care about him at all. He had fake friends. He experienced people walking away from him. He experienced hunger. It's okay to be hungry. It's not a sin to be hungry. He experienced loss, exile, homelessness, vulnerability, threats on his life, beatings, violence. He was murdered. People tried to throw shame on him. He was victimized. He was publicly humiliated. And he was abandoned. But never by the Father. Just people. Why am I saying all of this? Because these are the very things that come at us And they keep us stuck. And we feel like we're the only one. And they keep us in this space where it's like, I think I'm alone in my pain. I think I'm alone in my suffering. And I'm going to have to muster up my own strength to get myself up and out of this. When Jesus himself said, my confidence comes from God. My ability to stand in the middle of all of these things uh, the passion, not the passion translation, the, the message translation says, even I, even I live by placing my trust in God. That's powerful. And why would we put our trust in God if we don't believe that he's good? Why would we put our trust in him if we don't think he can get in our, if he's too fragile to get in our sin mess? You're not going to, Put your trust in that moment in someone that you believe this lie about. I just want to break the power of that lie this morning. It, it is not scriptural. There's not a moment in scripture where God shows up and says, ah, too dirty, too messy, can't get there. There's not a moment. Even the prodigal son story, you know, The father doesn't go into the pig pen with the prodigal. He doesn't go and partake in the choices with him. But he's constantly looking. He's constantly on the front porch. He's constantly saying, I'm ready. I'm ready to receive you. I'm here. I'm here. I'm longing for the day that you come to your senses, that you make the choice to get up out of your space and come to me. There isn't a space where he goes, no, you're too messed up. You're too gross. You're too sick. Your situation's too far gone. There's not a space that he won't light up. This is our God. I want to read this same section of scripture to you in the message translation. Yes. Jesus, oh, I'm sorry, that's not it. That is not it. That was my own writings. Wouldn't that be funny? 
I was like, this is the word of God. It's me. (laughs) Sorry. It makes good sense that the God who got everything started and keeps everything going now completes the work by making the salvation pioneer perfect through suffering as he leads all these people to glory. I want to stop right there. The suffering didn't make Jesus holy. The suffering made Jesus the perfect sacrifice. The suffering made Jesus the perfect representation to go to the cross. The suffering was that he was acquainted with us. So suffering did not make, it didn't perfect him in his character or all of those things. Although God, you know, shows up and, and develops us that way. But I just want to, that's another lie sometimes that we believe. That we have to go through suffering to get to this place where we finally are going to get it. But Jesus was acquainted with all of our sufferings. And that's what made him the perfect atonement for what we needed. Okay, let's keep going. Uh, Jesus was the perfect salvation pioneer, perfect through suffering as he leads all these people to glory. And since the one who saves and those who are saved have a common origin, Jesus doesn't hesitate. What's our common origin? Anybody? It's that we all come from the same father, right? But it's also that we're all human. Um, Okay. Jesus doesn't hesitate to treat them as family, saying, I'll tell my good friends, my brothers and sisters, all that I know about you. I'll join them in worship and praise to you. And again, he puts himself in the same family circle when he says, even I live by placing my trust in God. And yet again, I'm here with the children God gave me. Since the children are made of flesh and blood, it's logical that the Savior took on flesh and blood in order to rescue them by his death. I want you to hear this line. By embracing death, taking it into himself, he, Jesus, destroyed the devil's hold on death and freed all who cower through life, scared to death of death. Jesus destroyed the devil's hold on death by embracing death. Anybody scared to death of death in the room? I mean, there, there's, if we were honest, there's fear of death, even among believers. I actually feel this morning that God wants to break the power of the fear of death off of us. Jesus conquered that. We know that. We know these things, but... I honestly feel like a lot of the lies that we've believed about God have superseded the truth about who he is. And the truth about who he is is he, he is acquainted with all of our suffering. He endured all of these things. He was without sin. And he who knew no sin became sin for us that we might know the righteousness of Christ. He got as dirty as one can get. So he didn't actually do the sin, but every rotten, horrible thing, the worst of the worst thing, when Jesus was on the cross, the worst thing you have ever done in your life, 
the worst thing you've ever heard that's been done in humanity, in all of history, Hitler, Hamas, all of the horrible atrocities. He who knew no sin became sin. He took all of those horrible, wretched, disgusting, atrocious things upon himself. This is the God who can't get around sin. He became sin. That we could be free from the power of death. Sin has no hold on us any longer because he became sin. But it didn't stick on him because he was perfect, because he was spotless, and because his own blood held the power to conquer sin and death. So he could look it dead in the face, put it on, the weight of it. I mean, that's wild. Take it, bury it, crush it, dissolve it. Look at hell in the face. Preach to those who are captive. Set them free. There's no shadow he won't light up. Wow. I don't know what you're going through today. I don't know what kind of mess you feel. But he is there. This makes me feel the fear of the Lord. This makes me tremble. Not in, not in a, I want to hide. And actually, I want to expose everything. I want to get your holiness all over me, Lord. I want to get so close to you. I want to put my confidence in you. I want to throw myself on your mercy. Does it make you feel that way? There's not a scary situation. There's not a child too far away from him. There's not a sickness you're bearing that he doesn't care so much about. There's not an addiction that you have been trying to walk out in your own strength that he doesn't want to just say, come close to me, come into me, put your confidence in me. You can't do this on your own. I couldn't do it on my own. I had to put my confidence in God. This is what Jesus is saying. Jesus, Son of God, kept himself spotless every step of the way, even though he faced all the same garbage that we face by letting the Father Strengthen him by putting his confidence in the goodness of God. In the goodness of God. I want to read Psalms 22. 
because this is often the thing that's quoted, and it's long, and I apologize, and I didn't give it to Bella. But this is often the thing that's quoted to say that God can't look upon your stuff. It's the front part of it. The back part of it's so good. And this is, this is what David, this is like this moment where David wasn't just a songwriter. He stepped into the prophetic realm. And he saw, he saw something and he gave song to the cry of the Lord. And he gave song to a people who would understand what Jesus would say and what he would go through because we would go through it. There's things in here that it's like, oh, yeah, I felt like that before. My God, my God, why would you abandon me now? Have you ever felt that way? Why do you remain distant, refusing to answer my tearful cries in the day and my desperate cries for your help in the night? Have you ever been there? I can't stop sobbing. Where are you, my God? I know that you are most holy. It's indisputable. You are God enthroned, surrounded with songs, living among the shouts of praise of your princely people. Our Father's faith was in you. Through the generations, they trusted and believed in you, and you came through. Every time they cried out to you in their despair, you were faithful to deliver them, and you didn't disappoint them. But look at me now. This is David identifying with how Jesus felt on the cross. I'm a woeful worm. You ever felt like that? Crushed. I'm bleeding crimson. I don't even look like a man anymore. Jesus was beaten unrecognizably. I'm a, I've been abused, despised, and scorned by everyone, mocked by their jeers and despised by their sneers. As all the people poke fun at me, spitting their insults, saying, is this the one who trusted in God? Jesus says, I put my trust in God. I live by putting my trust in God. And they threw it in his face. Is this the one who claims God is pleased with him? Now, let's see if your God will come to your rescue. We'll see just how much he delights in you. Lord, you safely delivered me from my mother's womb. You were the one who cared for me ever since I was a baby. That's how Jesus could trust the process and come vulnerably he trusted that the Lord would lead and guide his earthly parents. He trusted that the Lord would keep him safe from getting picked off by a coyote. <laughs> Since the day I was born, I've been placed into your custody, and you've cradled me throughout my days. That's true of y'all. That is true of me. I've trusted in you, and you've always been my God, so don't leave me now. Stay close to me. For trouble is all around me, and there's no one else to help me. I'm surrounded by many violent foes. Many forces of evil are swirling around me who want to break me to bits and destroy me. Curses pour from their mouth. They're like ravenous, roaring lions tearing their prey. And now I'm completely exhausted, and I'm spent. Ever feel that way? Every joint of my body has been pulled apart. 
Some of you feel that way. My courage has vanished and my inward parts have melted away. I'm so thirsty and parched, dry as a bone. My tongue sticks to the roof of my mouth. Jesus actually said I'm thirsty on the cross. He thirsted, he hungered. You ever feel so dry that you're like, I just need just a little drink from the presence of God. And now you've left me in the dust for dead, and they've pierced my hands and my feet. So this is, again, this is the cross. Like a pack of dogs, they tear at me, swirling around me with their hatred. They gather around me like lions to pin my hands and feet. All my bones stick out. We could go about this and the cross for a long time. I mean, it's just such a representation of that. They gloat over me. They stare. Now they're tossing dice, dividing my clothes amongst themselves, gambling for my garments. The prophetic flow that David stepped into to get this psalm is just unbelievable. And this is the song that they've been singing for generations leading up to Jesus. Why? So they'd know who he was, but also they identified with this. They felt this. I'm sure David felt this. God, my Lord, please don't stay far away because you are my only might and strength. Won't you come quickly to my rescue? Give me back my life. Save me from this violent death. Save my precious one and only from the power of these demons. Save me from the power of the enemy, this roaring lion raging against me. I will praise your name before all my brothers. As my people gather, I will praise you in their midst. Something's turning here. His perspective is changing. I'm praising you. Lovers of Yahweh, praise him. Let all the true seed of Jacob, that's us, praise him. Glorify him with your praises. Stand in awe of him, all you princely people, the offspring of Israel, for he is not despised. Now he's telling the truth. This is how it feels in the moment, but this is the truth about who God is. This is where it starts to get really good. For he has not despised my cries of deep despair, and he's my first responder to my sufferings. He did not look the other way when I was in pain. He was there the whole time, listening to the song of the afflicted. This is where it gets so good. You are the reason for my praise, and it comes from you, and it goes to you. I will keep my promise to praise you before all who fear you among the congregation of your people. I will invite the poor and the broken, and they will come and eat until satisfied. Bring Yahweh praise, and you will find him. There's a key for you. When you feel like that, what did we talk about last week? Thanksgiving, joy, prayer. This is all what praise is about. Turn it around. Turn your perspective. Look at the truth of who God is. And he comes running. I lost my place. You are the reason for my praise. It comes from you. It goes to you. I'll keep my promise to praise you. Before all who fear you among the congregation of your people, I'll invite the poor, the broken, they'll be satisfied. Bring Yahweh praise. 
Your heart will overflow with life forever. From the four corners of the earth, the peoples of the world will remember and return to the Lord. Every nation will come and worship him. For the Lord is king of all, who takes charge of all the nations. There they are, they're worshiping. The wealthy of this world will feast and fellowship with him, right alongside of the humble of heart, bowing down to the dust, forsaking their own souls. They will all come and worship this worthy king. You are worthy of it all. His spiritual seed shall serve him. Future generations will hear from us about the wonders of the sovereign Lord. His generation yet to be born will glorify him, and they will all declare, as Jesus did when he accomplished it all, it is finished. We sang that this morning, it is finished, it is done. Oh, the cross, what he's done. He made a way for us. Friends, I don't know what you're going through this morning. I don't know what has led you to today. But what I do know is that there's nothing, there's nothing that not just will keep you from the love of God, but will keep God from just showing up when you call for him. There's nothing that you're going through. There's not a circumstance. He is so for you. He became flesh and blood, and he moved right into the neighborhood. This is who he is. He's good. I just want to declare, I want to declare, if you're online and you're hearing this, God is good. He's better than you think. He's better than you've heard. He's better than you have heard stories, generation to, I don't know why they started saying that God could not look upon sin, that he's, he's too holy. He had to separate himself, except for it's a really great scheme of the enemy to keep us distant from the one who knows us better than anyone. It's a really great scheme from the enemy to twist the words of a prophet and use it to keep us apart. But Jesus, he lives because he puts his trust in God. That's how he made it to the cross. That's what perfected him in the midst of all of his sufferings. He put his hope in God. And there's hope today. This season, this thing you're walking through, there's so much hope in the middle of it. And if you feel like you've been abandoned, I just am here to tell you this morning, you are not. I know I said things that we have heard a million times, but it has to be said again and again. This is the song of the generations that we will sing generation to generation. God is good. The Lord, he is good, and his mercy endures forever. The Lord, he is good. God is good. God is good. He is for you. He's not against you. He doesn't look away when you're going through it. He doesn't turn and run when it looks like, oh, this is not going to go well. It's not going to have a good end. He inserts himself. And just like Jesus on the cross, Carrying the weight, the heaviest weight, he did not, I mean, can you imagine how disorienting that would be to never sin and then have like the whole of humanity's sin upon you? How disorienting. Is it sin to get disoriented? No. 
What did he do to keep going? He remembered the truth of who God is. He praised. He remembered who God was. And I just, this morning, in fact, why don't you just stand? We'll wrap up. God is good. He loves you. He has an amazing plan for your life. It's not for you to struggle it out and try to figure it out on your own. It's not to stay out of your mess. He actually wants to, like, be your next-door neighbor. He wants to come over for dinner. He wants to show up. And let every heart prepare him room. Let every heart prepare him room. Lord, we just invite you. Come in. Come in, Lord. God, I just confess that there's something about, even though, like, I just preached this whole message, and I believe it to be 100% true, in my own humanity, God, I still want to clean myself up. I don't want to have needs. I don't want to be weak. I don't want to be vulnerable. I don't want to do any of those things. I want to have it together when I stand before the God of all creation. I want, I want to, like, bring you something great. But I'm reminded the truth of who you are, Lord, that you say, bring me yourself. Bring me what is true. Bring me what is real. Bring me what's authentic today. So, Lord, would you just break that, that lie off of this church and off of your church? That there is something that could separate us from you. When your word says nothing can separate us. Nothing can separate us. And, Lord, we just, we confess that we haven't always believed that you are as good as you are. And Lord, I, I want to think a new way. I want my mind to be renewed. Lord, it's not just about sorrow, but true repentance is about the renewing of our mind. So God, we come in, we repent. We say, give us a new mind. Renew our mind. Heal my mind of the spaces where I've believed lies about you. And would you come in and renew it and replace it with the truth that's like an anchor? And Lord, I thank you that you embraced death so that you could conquer it. And death is no longer an enemy to us. Lord, I pray for every person that fears death in this room, that you would come, Lord, like 
a mighty wind, and you would just come upon every person that is struggling in fear, and that you would replace that, Lord, with your perfect love that drives out fear, your peace that you promised to give to us in your word, not just the shalom, but the blessed peace that makes saints know that they are right with God, that they do not fear death. That's the peace that the cross releases. That's the victory that the cross releases, God. And that's what is, a, is ours. It's the gift that you give to us. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, that we are not just like these struggling people that you look upon with pity, but, Lord, you are saying that we're your family. We're your sons and daughters, and we're Jesus' brothers and sisters. We are pulled into family. And the same glory, you're bringing many sons and daughters to glory. The same glory that Jesus, you, the Father, the Spirit, experience, that same connection, the same oneness you've given to us. So, Lord, I pray for this family that we would experience that oneness, that connection with you. We would always run to you, God, and not ever away from you. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, well, if you want someone to pray with you this morning, we have people that would love to do that. And um, you guys, Dr. Matai will be with us next Sunday. Isn't that exciting and fun? So tell your friends, Dr. Matai will be in the church, in the house. God bless you. And we'll see you at the table or at the girls' night or on Sunday. Thanks for listening to Jesus Pursuit's weekly sermon. If you would like to be a part of seeing people encounter God, experience transformation, and be equipped to advance the kingdom, you have the opportunity to partner with us through giving at jesuspursuit.org forward slash give. Together, we can make Jesus famous in Albany, the Northwest, and the nations. We hope you have a blessed week, and we'll see you next time.